Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When I was a kid, my dad was a cop, and we spent five seasons of Loose Units, the podcast, talking through his cases, but the unexplained and the paranormal kept rearing their heads. So this season, we're going to take a look at hauntings, ghost stories, and the crimes behind them, because the story doesn't end when the killing is done. Welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Now, if the stories are to be believed... The street with no name, as it's called, is one of Sydney's most haunted locations. Dad, you've been to the street with no name, so for the listeners who have no idea what this is, could you please describe the street with no name? Hmm. Well, yesterday morning, I came up with a brainwave. I said to Christine, "Um, let's go and look for this street with no name. And she said, why? And then I said, oh, well, it's the scene of some (laughs) horrific murders of young kids. And she was so sad. She looked forlorn. So you guys don't often get time to, you know, hang out and do fun stuff. And she's like, what are we doing this morning, John? And you said, well, a bunch of kids were killed at this street. So we're going to go check it out. Is that correct? Correct. And I had a bit of trepidation. And Paul, your idea, Mm. um, can I just compliment you? Oh, for this for this on location. The record, on the record, I'd like to say, you know, your idea. You said to me a few days ago, "Look, Dad, how about we, you know, we're, we're sort of covering the haunted aspects, but now let's look at the crimes related to those particular, you know, sort of let's bury deep yep. into actual yep. crime because that's mm-hmm. what the, our listeners love." Hundred percent. So, it was a very hot morning in Sydney yesterday, uncomfortably hot. Um. Sun was beaming in all its radiance. <laughs> God, here we go. No, it's fascinating. I, I often think about how far away <clears throat> the sun is from the Earth, and yet it's it's just the right distance. Like you with me? I guess. No, Paul, it gives us life. It's amazing. <laughs> I had that thought when I was sitting on the toilet yesterday, as the sun was off. <laughs> I asked Dad to describe a crime scene three minutes later. Is vanilla a feeling? Mm, let's discuss. Uh, Paul, yeah. I'm just creating a sense for the listeners because I know they love this. Yeah, um, okay. The sun's shining, yeah. yeah and, and, <laughs> but Paul, I felt a little bit sad and sorry for Christine right? because uh, we're sort of in virtual lockdown 
uh, because we're heading to Thailand in a week and we can't afford to get COVID. So we've really gone into this hyper lockdown Hmm. state and it's a big thing for us to go out and we're very aware we wear our masks. um, But what we were looking for was this particular haunted street and they call it a street with no name. And there lies a problem. Well, firstly, we had to sort of figure out where this place was and we had a bit of an idea. I had I had a bit of an idea. Christine was sort of oblivious and just sort of coming along for the ride. And I just sort of weirdly, and I don't want to sort of overstate this, Paul, but I had a sense of where it was. And the only thing I could go on, because they don't actually just come out and tell you. I mean, you can't Google street with no name, can you? You can't in go in. Ca- you can't in this go case, in. yeah. In in this case, there are a few sort of options. I mean, it's. I mean, it's down near the Glebe Viaduct, right? Mm. Which is long, very long. Yeah, but I mean, it's the, the only photo I've seen of the actual entrance is with a fence blocking it off. Uh, mm. I think saying that there's crane, like cranes overhead. There's a sign. Which, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Danger. Crane working overhead, mm. Mm. and I I don't believe there are any cranes working overhead. No. So no. it's. It's a little tricky. There's a bunch of, you know, kind of blogs and news sites and stuff where they kind of give you a vague idea. But Mm. how did you find your way there? Well, we found it through hard yakka. Okay. It took us. And I know the area. I know the area very well. Isn't that surreal to think that you can know an area very well. And then all of a sudden you find out after a long time that it's a really, there's a place within that area. I would describe, uh, like I, I wanted to describe the way we found the place because it was quite a trek and it was kind of weird because there were people everywhere. It's as though life is just carrying on regardless. There are people walking, dogs jogging, families walking, people shopping. Uh, it's a Sunday morning. There's a, there's a sort of sense of positivity in the air, but Everyone's oblivious to the fact that Christine and myself, two ex-police, are actually doing what I would describe as sort of a kind of a treasure hunt. We're actually using clues and using our senses to figure out, because it does say in all the blogs in relation to this particular location that you have to actually put the hard yards in and really go and, and really look for it. And we found ourselves under the viaduct. But these viaducts, there were photographs of viaducts that have been filled in and they use them for storage. And where we were, they were just all, you know, hollow and people were walking underneath them. And we came to, every time we sort of came to a bit of a funny area, we had a choice of either going to the left or the right. But my senses kept wanting me to sort of head to the right and eventually we come to a cricket oval. And there was, weirdly, a cricket game um, in progress. And Christine commented on how bizarre it is that you've got these people wearing woolly jumpers and long pants in this extreme heat. Uh, that's that's I guess that is cricket. And we found these... Uh, these sort of arches that have been filled in. So we knew that we were on the right track. Now that word track is quite, well, I guess it forms a part of the story. 
we come to a railway sort of station and railway tracks that are above. So this sort of viaduct or aqueduct is actually, um, it's got a railway track above and we go up these stairs and we come to a light rail track. Now, according to the news in Sydney, the whole light rail system within this area has been shut down because of those defective trains. Have you heard about those? No, I've not. Okay, so we see these two ladies, elderly women, just sitting on a seat at the station. This is a station that's not actually working. There are no trains. It's been shut down for at least six months. And these two mm. women, and I began to think, golly, are, are they actually there? We sort of scoured. Uh, we looked to the left and there was a, a dark tunnel, which I've never been to in my life, might I add. And to the right was all this bush and the sort of the track came out of the bush. And then there was a, a, a way to walk across the track. So we walk across the tracks. We come to this winding path and we start getting, I just had this really strong sense. We'd basically circumnavigated this incredibly dense parcel of dark forest. And I'm talking, if it was, if you were doing a film sort of um, like The Hobbit, you know how those, the, the little boys, they go into that forest with it, like where all the trees are that yeah. talk? Yeah. It was like that. It was super, super dense. And I had this urge, weirdly, Paul, to turn my video on. And I actually videotaped us walking up this path, not knowing where we were going. And all of a sudden, and I'm looking through the camera, I, I just can't believe this, Paul. I We were just standing in front of that gate with the sign saying, Danger, Overhead Crane. Right. And I looked... And I started to move the camera and it was out of focus because it was focusing on the bar, on, on, on like the mesh. Mm. But then I pushed through the, the, the mesh. And once the lens didn't have that very sort of close mesh to sort of focus on, all of a sudden, just miraculously, the entire scene lit up and it's crystal clear. And you can see clearly that we'd been on this road, which is a public street. And the street keeps going, and then all of a sudden, like the bitumen keeps going into the into the sort of into the bush. Into the, actually, you shouldn't really call it bush. You should call it sort of a very very deep and kind of I'm going to say mysterious, and I'll explain why in a sec. And they've just sort of barricaded with with huge um, gates and fencing across the road. Yeah, and it's clearly a no go area, but there was a section out of the gate cut away and I said to Christine do you think I should go in and inside this area where there's this thick growth with um, incredibly old trees painted uh, planted in the 19th century um, there was no wind no there was no movement it was so still there was absolutely there was no nothing at all and then we looked to the left into this huge huge tree which was one of the biggest trees I've ever seen in my life and the entire tree but only this one tree was swaying and I looked at all the other trees and I couldn't figure out why on earth that was happening and that was really really weird and 
yeah, so we found the um, we found the street, and then of course I came home and did my due. I'd already done some research. Oh, this is actually, oh, golly, sorry, I forgot to tell you that another, I guess, part B of this story, which poor Christine's being dragged along on, is that I also took her to the to some of the locations where we actually, uh, and I took photographs of some of the houses and, mm. uh, you know, that are very pertinent to this particular story, of which yep. there are many, many stories about this place, but, you know, we, we or, or I focused on, um, a particularly horrific double murder of two young boys, which I think we can talk about. Yeah, I mean, lots of stuff has happened in this area that warrants it being kind of a focal point for this stuff. But I mean, chronologically, it makes sense to start with the murders of the boys. So did you want to kind of kick things off there? Mm, okay, well, you know, it's very disturbing to be so close to where these terrible things happened. And when I say terrible, they were at the... Look, of course, um, there's no differentiation in terms of shockingness to time insofar as if if what I'm about to talk about happened today, it would be... Well, it'd be, it'd be just absolutely, you know, heart-stopping and it would make international news because it was so, so frightening. But... You know, Christine and I were sort of right there. We were actually, we were we were physically um, in the presence of something that, sadly, and I say this from the bottom of my heart, listeners, that it's so sad to think that these terrible, terrible things happened in this area, and they've been forgotten because I had never, ever heard these stories. And they happened in the in the late seventies when I was, um, you know, I was seventeen. I was eighteen. I was in the prime. I don't like to say the prime of life because I always feel as though I'm always in the prime of life. But um, uh, you know, the story is that um, a seventeen-year-old guy he he approached two boys. One of the boys was eight years old and one was 12 years old and he met them in this really nice park now i actually also went to all the locations um in relation to this story Mm -hmm. and i studied the maps really really clearly because i wanted to get a very very good sense i basically embedded myself when i got home yesterday i spent about four hours going deep into this and i felt really it was really kind of exciting and challenging because I know the area, but then I wanted to go through, and I went through every location, every address, and I used maps, and I sort of pull away and sort of look down. I used satellite photographs, and I absolutely, and I took copious notes, and I basically became, dare I say it, almost sort of an armchair investigator. And then I did research on, because the first victim, his mother... They lived in a women's refuge very close by and, you know, that in a, in a way, the mother living with the two boys is kind of kind of a little bit sad. And what year was this again? Uh, I've 1977. Got oh, shit, because there's... I mean, I thought you'd start earlier because... Um, oh, there are, there are lots of other cases, but I thought, yeah. Paul, 
but that that and there's another case involving a three-year-old. Yes, that's so horrific. Yeah, that was May I, the eleventh, nineteen sixty-eight. Correct. That that's so. Yeah. But Paul, that particular yeah. guy, yeah, that never admitted to that. Mm. I think there's. It's most definitely worth the two of us at least doing one or two episodes just on that particular offender. We can touch on that later, but yes, I think you're correct. Let's let's wind back to the double murder that you were about to discuss. My apologies. Mm-hmm. Because so look, the- Paul, you know, also where Christine and I stood yesterday, they believe is the site of the first satanic murder ever in this country. Ah, oh, now I read about this. So mm. I couldn't find any actual, like, news stuff because this was happening more at the time. You remember there's a big, like, moral panic mm. in the 80s about, mm. like, um, satanic rituals and yep. stuff. There was apparently a girl... Found in a car park near the street with no name. Yeah. Who was apparently the victim of Sydney's first satanic murder. But again, I couldn't find any actual evidence of that. Did you I'm, find anything more concrete? I'm, I, I'm, I'm going to go deep into all this. But Paul, okay, there's almost... I'm, I, look, we've been doing this podcast for, for a long time. Yeah. I found myself yesterday and this morning absolutely... Um, charged up and and really fascinated um and i the, the more i delved into this the more i thought shit there's just way 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 too much material mm. it's so big and it's bloody fascinating and i think we're kind of getting back to our core here you know what what loose units is about and i mm. and then i started to just going back just very very quickly paul to 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 the three-year-old that was murdered. Oh my! That's the most terrible story. But then I, I, I pulled out that particular offender's. I, I don't know how I found it, Paul, but I found his um, actual medical fact sheet um, as prepared for the courts from when he was born to when he basically died, mm. and it is so terrible. But that's a whole. That's a whole another story. But it's all, as you say, about this particular place. And when you come up to Sydney, I'd like to take you there and, and really just sort of... And maybe you and I can actually go through the hole in the gate and go into this place because okay. it's really fucked up. Sure. So what this, this guy does, he's 17. He appro- approaches these two boys. Now, the little boys, one's eight, one's 12, and they've got a push bike. And he comes up to these two boys. He ostensibly has never met them before. And he says to them, look, would you, would you guys like to earn some pocket money? Um, I need a hand. Uh, I'd like to meet you in, say, 30 minutes um, and help me pack some boxes. And the, the two boys, 8 and 12, they're, it's, sort of, it's July, so it's, it's, it's wintertime in Sydney, which is bloody cold. And the, the offender, the 17-year-old, he's wearing... Uh, a yellow jumper, so he's sort of fairly prominent in the way he's dressed. And and now I've studied the maps, and I figured it would take these boys approximately 20 minutes to go from this particular park in Glebe to Jubilee Oval, which is sort of, like I said, on push bike, at least 20 minutes away. Mm-hmm. So it's a Sunday morning. The two little boys, they're pretty excited. They've got this 
great opportunity to earn some some pocket money. So they ride, they double, you know, the two of them on one bike and off they go. They're, they're obviously excited. They go down to this park and there are some sort of warehouses, which are those shed type things underneath the aqueducts that have been filled in. Yes. And it's next to a, uh, to a cricket oval. It's, it's pretty well on the oval. And it's a very famous, very popular place. And then on the, you know, I'm just trying to get my bearings here, on the kind of southern side of the oval is a slight embankment where you've got, which is where Christine and I walked up yesterday morning, and there you walk up to a railway track. So beneath that are these storeroom sort of, you know, filled in sort of viaduct arches. Mm-hmm. And what this 17-year-old boy does is slightly bizarre but what he says to the two boys he says look um he says to the bigger boy look you come with me and give me a hand and he gets the little boy to wait which is kind of weird and the little boy waits he's an eight-year-old he's waiting 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 and eventually the 17-year-old comes back to the little boy the eight-year-old and says Oh, look, your friend, um, it wasn't as big a job as we thought. Um, I've given him the pocket money for both of you, and he's gone home. Now, I'm not quite sure about the push bike at this stage. Um, and the little boy goes home. What had transpired is that the 17-year-old boy had taken the 12-year-old boy into a fairly quiet place out of view and had made sexual advances towards him. And apparently the 12-year-old boy who would have been at this stage shit scared um, because this guy is sort of trying to molest him. And what happens next is that the 17-year-old grabs a large rock and completely stoves his head in he bashes him to death he then uh, sexually assaults the boy Um, so you can just imagine the the crime incredibly vicious he I mean, to stove someone's head in with a rock. I have been to those. I've seen, I've seen those situations where, you know, blunt force trauma, because um, the skull is is strong. You know, obviously to house the brain, but once you crack the skull um, and continue, it becomes weaker and weaker, like like an egg. You know, that first crack of the egg is somewhat more demanding, but then once you've cracked it, it begins to just break quite easily that's my egg analogy for for those people that have boiled eggs and so the little boy goes home then when the boy goes back to school he says to his mother that his friend his 12 year old mate didn't go to school that day and then the mother calls the police and the young boy goes with the police to show them where he'd last seen his friend and this guy on a push bike. 
and the police make the grim discovery. They find a naked uh, boy, and he not only was he a 12-year-old boy, but he was described as being small in stature. So he was a small 12-year-old boy. It becomes a major crime scene, and at, the, at its highest point, there were more than 60 detectives. Now, 60 detectives is an extraordinary number of police. And they took this thing incredibly seriously, and they were very, very concerned because they knew that they had a depraved, sadistic, sexual predator and murderer. Uh, and, of course, the worry is that... Um, you know, that this is this going to be one of life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices. Down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Many. And then... Six months later, um, a second boy, same same years, you know, twelve years old, but this particular boy, he was he was stabbed to death. But the final blow was when the knife was driven right through his heart. This is a terribly, terribly violent crime. He was also sexually assaulted. But the story is with this particular boy is that he was approached at a public swimming pool nearby in Leichhardt by the same offender. And he basically took him back, lured him back to the very, very same location where he committed this, you know, the the atrocious. Um, it was all about it was all about the sex um, with you know with underage boys and incredibly violent. And it's a very very long and complicated story as to how they caught the guy. But what this particular person did, he actually called Channel Seven twice. Now they didn't know at the time that it was him, and he was actually telling. He wanted to talk to the number one newsreader in Australia at the time and he was unavailable so he gave this message to someone high up in Channel 7 and he said to them that he that that there was a young boy that had been murdered and he basically told them where to find the boy 
uh, the victim and they contacted the police and they went to this particular location. So it's kind of weird that, um, you know, he was um, sort of wanting to sort of let people know. Uh, you don't know what's going through his mind. Is he trying to sort of, does he crave the sort of publicity or is he trying to stop and he does he want to get caught? Well, the police had issued, you know, they'd sent out identikits and they'd put out flyers and they had these massive campaigns going to try and find the person who did it. So, I mean, do you think some killers enjoy the kind of, like, the press? Do 100%. they enjoy that? So he's basically trying to kind of drum up that thing he wants, oh, which is attention, right? Mate, 100%. And um, as we will discuss in another episode about the guy that murdered the three-year-old... Yeah. And lots and lots and lots of other, like, we're talking at least nine children, this other guy murdered, who, who might I add was a sailor, which is an extraordinary part of that story. But he, he, he kept trophies. He had a storeroom. Um, so, yeah, they, look, it's just, I can't believe that to have committed such a terrible murder with The Rock, that there, it seems weird there was nothing in between. It's yeah. bizarre, but I mean, because of that, like, first of all, the guy who was doing these murders was a 17-year-old, which mm. I find extremely disturbing. Mm. Um, and I've read some accounts of his kind of conduct in court, and it's it's very odd behavior, but he did seem to really enjoy the spotlight. In um, the State Library had a clipping from uh, a newspaper headline, uh, and the headline is, How I Killed Two Boys. And he, mm. was just, he just sat there and talked to reporters through how he did it. Like, there mm. was a degree of kind of... Not pride, but there was a, I don't know, it takes a certain kind of monster to do this. And the fact mm. that it all happened, like you said, just around the corner from where people play cricket is mm. just... Oh, it's, I mean, it's extraordinary. Hor- it's horrible. Um, when he went to court, Paul, yes, he was sentenced because he, he was 17 at the time. Mm. But when he became 18... And he went to the district court, and this is really fascinating for you and listeners. This is so, and I've and I've I've done my fact checking, so rest assured, what I'm about to say is 100% factual. And yes, Paul, don't edit it, don't cut it out, don't feel bad and worried about what I'm about to say, because it's on the public record. Okay, the presiding judge at the time was Justice Yeldum, okay? A senior judge in the New South Wales judiciary. But he was a very, very, very problematic judge. Now, I read the transcripts of the trial of this now 18-year-old boy, or now adult. His name, listeners, I've written his full name down, was Mark Clifford George Thomas Gregory of Johnston Street, Annandale. A road I drive up five times a week and have done so for at least 30 years to go to a particular auction house. Now, I read the judge's comments and they're in parenthesis. And it's almost, it's so... Weird to read what the judge said about this particular offender 
he handed down two life sentences, which is never to be released. Mm. Okay. But the judge, Judge Justice Yeldon, in his summing up, you get the sense that he's almost pandering to the New South Wales police force. He was talking about how wonderfully they treated the offender, which is such a weird thing to say because I've read the comments by the police at the time and it makes me gag because you can tell, yes, they've caught the bad guy, but you know the term verbaling, which was prolific back in the 70s and 80s, Paul? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so... I've read some of the comments that the police made allegedly during, you know, records of interview and it's just it's it's just such bullshit the 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 interviews you just know what really went on particularly back then I, mean, I they know just, they they beat the shit out of me oh, mate you know it's just it was made me gag reading this bullshit fact put aside the fact that this guy was a living scumbag. This Mark Gregory was just a, you know, fucked up unit. But what I'm about to say, because the listeners are thinking, John, why are you actually talking about this? But all's going to be revealed. When I was at the New South Wales Police Academy in 1980, one of my instructors told, he told the class that if ever we were on general duties around um, central station, and I've mentioned this to you before, Paul. So just bear with me. If there was a particular person, he was a, a, a well-known judge. If he had his red handkerchief sticking out of his pocket, he was on the prowl, banging little boys in the public toilets. This is on the record, Paul. It's it's out there. You don't have to worry. I just read an article in the Fin Review before we came on air. We're very very comfortable and safe talking about this. He was on the prowl. He was Justice Yeldon. Okay, the wow. same judge that is saying how wonderful the police were in this case and at the very end he then says get ready for this he says in court that his comments in relation to the detectives that in that did such an incredible job in getting this scumbag uh, we all agree on that but please i want my comments to go to the commissioner of police which was merv wood who was one of the most crooked corrupt police officers in the history of the New South Wales Police Force. It was all rotten. Now, Justice Yeldon, FYI, listeners, this is amazing to think that he's a judge presiding on this murder case, and God knows. But it's so insane that this is a judge that used to, while he was a senior, like a QC, in the in the sort of the, in the, the hierarchy of the New South Wales judicial system, he used to regularly on trains in Sydney, masturbate, okay? He was seen masturbating on trains. He was seen at Central Railway Station on the stairwell talking to a 16-year-old boy jacking off. Nothing ever happened. It couldn't happen because they were so concerned that it would bring discredit to the judiciary. Okay, so if that's not weird enough about this story, Paul, get ready for this. Mm -hmm. And this is just so trippy. There is an unsolved murder in Western Australia, in Albany, where a 31-year-old man at 4.55 a.m. was run over. He was a pedestrian. It's an unsolved case. The police believe he was murdered. 
okay? All the evidence from that particular crime has vanished. The detectives have got no idea where it is. Guess what his name is? What? Mark Gregory. And I'm thinking, and I know this sounds completely insane, because what I have failed to mention, and I'm just about to mention this to everyone, is that Neville ran the Premier of New South Wales under a truth in sentencing sort of legislation sort of change. This offender, Mark Gregory, who'd murdered two 12-year-old boys, one with a knife, one with a rock, and sexually assaulted them pre- and post-mortem. Two life sentences. He was paroled after eight years. Okay? He was given a new identity, and that's it. That's all we know. Hang on. Wait. Seriously? That's in the record, Paul. That happened to a lot of prisoners when Rand was in power. It was called truth in sentencing. But he killed two kids. Yes, and he was released after eight years. And there are members of the families of these two boys that want the whole thing reopened. Unfortunately, that's not how it works. And then I read that this particular person who has got nothing to do with the offender at all except shares his name, but bearing in mind that's a name he shares with the person prior to being paroled because when he was released from custody, he was given a complete new identity, which is not uncommon, Paul. This happens all the time. You don't get to hear about it. It happens a lot with pedophiles, okay, where they put them back into the community. So I just felt that it could be, I haven't gone into all the the, sort of the maths of it, but it's fascinating that a man with the same name on the other side of Australia is murdered, okay? Now, because we all know that sometimes people do wait um, because, you know, as they say, revenge is a dish best served cold. And it's a hypothesis that I'm just putting out there because you think it's he quite... Was, you think he was knocked off? Well, it's, it's, it's... Imagine if someone had made a mistake thinking that this person over there that clearly was not the offender yeah. guaranteed 100%. Right. Because I've read about his history. He's a, he was a local, married, kids, etc. But you but have someone who's grieving and who uh, thinks they've uh, spotted his name in a, like a guest yeah. book somewhere and they yeah. follow him and they hit him and they, th- and they get some closure. Incredible. But, but what happens is, oh, Dad, this is but really... Don't you find that just so incredible? This is where this little investigation where you said to me, Dad, yeah. let's just check out a few things that happened within this thing. And, and also, spoiler alert, I'm not going to mm. completely spoil this, but guess what? I, 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 I couldn't believe it. They go on and on and on about this street with no name. Guess what, Paul? What? It has a name. Oh, yeah. What's the name? Oh, I'm not... People can do their own research. If people want to find out, let them go through the hard hard yards that we went through yesterday. Okay. I'm struck by how strange it is that this specific site, this street, keeps cropping up in the news. Like we said before, there's the there's the double murder. Then there was a murder of a little like a very young child way back in the 60s, but in 1999 on August 24th, a guy was murdered while he was sleeping in a grandstand overlooking the Jubilee Oval. Mm. Um, it's an unsolved murder. It's referred to as the Starlight Hotel murder, I believe. Mm. His name was Anthony John Wood. Uh, he was a he was homeless. Uh, he didn't have many possessions. And he died while he slept, and apparently someone used a hammer to smash him 
mm. like to death basically yeah. there's there's heaps and heaps of books about unsolved murders which roll this in I believe the Rocks Police and the Homicide Squad uh, are the ones who took care of this case, but it is unsolved. Did you yeah. read about this one? No, no, but I, I, I do know about it, but I, I also am quite aware that when Christian and I were looking for this street with no name, we actually looked up into the grandstand and actually saw people sitting there. It's all so kind of weird, and to have been there yesterday was, quite frankly, very disturbing. Um, also, Paul, the uh, you know, this... this Mark Gregory, he says that when he got the the young boy, the the second boy, the twelve year old that he sort of met at the pool, when he got him back to this 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 place where he wanted to sort of go back to the same location, which in itself's completely fucking creepy, he says to the police that he found a knife. That's bullshit. That's such fucking bullshit. This was so premeditated. This guy was a real you know, and I've read some accounts from people that went to school with him, and he was a he was a a bully, and he he was a very very uh, look. He was just a very very scary person, and I'm quite sure that we've all had people like that at school. I know that I've uh, I met a few people like that when I went to school. I was bullied. I went to a school. I mean, I was bullied extensively, and that's part of what Electric Blue is about. There's a lot of stories in there about the bullying that I went through, and there were people I went to school with who I'm convinced ended up in prison based on their behaviour. But there was also one guy who would get the uh, mice from the school lab and um, take them to the woodwork class and crush them in the vice. Mm. I mean, these are people who are. Oh. Dad, schools are basically prisons. You get corralled in with people who have some real stuff going on. The idea that. Yeah, because there's people who would have gone to school with this kid and then would have seen the pieces in the paper about him. And what's interesting is, and this happens all the time, Dad, whenever somebody gets accused of a crime, people stitch together all of their recollections of the person Mm. and reverse engineer one of two narratives. One Mm. is he seemed like such a nice guy. It doesn't make sense. Or I always knew there was something wrong with him. You're right. You know, and in this case, it seems like the latter was the majority. Yep. Yep. So, Dad, I'm very curious, and please forgive me, but could you refresh us? Did you research this case before you went? Um, yeah. Okay. Yep. So, um, do you think it's possible that your knowing what happened in this in this place kind of coloured your perception of it? I mean, you knew I wouldn't just send you to a random street and then tell you later on it was haunted. That would make sense. But hmm. when you went there, did you find yourself sort of, you know, kind of filling in the spaces with the things that you knew happened there. Okay, Paul, great question. And I just I'll just say this and that is that if you go to Auschwitz or yeah. concentration camps or if you went to where Pol Pot murdered, you know, twenty million people mm. or even a cemetery. Uh or the quarantine station. Or a place that you just know has been a place that has suffered terribly that is obviously going to affect the way you feel and look at things. Yeah. And even though it was a really sunny day and it was hot, uh, I was, because of the the research I'd done, I had to obviously do some research to figure out, you know, the proximity because it was important that we could prove that all these things happened within a very, very small radius of this particular street. Yeah. And, you know, yes, it does affect the way I see things, but also it kind of helps sort of reinforce the possibilities and the the, the the history of the events 
and you begin to see it in in the context of the physicality and you appreciate why perhaps this is a location that will draw people that are predisposed to committing horrendous crimes. I don't believe that any of these crimes that we discussed today and we're going to discuss next week, I don't believe any of them were not premeditated. I know there are crimes of um, opportunity and passion, but opportunity is a major thing. You know, you're driving along, you're a sex offender, Mm. you're a pedophile, you see a kid, three-year-old, the parents have just turned their back, do I pull up, open the door and just grab them and... You know, it's yeah. The thing about this location is it's sort of it's it's very central, uh, and yet it is also isolated. It is yeah, amazing. It's, it's sort of this weird confluence of kind of things that a bad person would need to have access to. Anyway, it's terrible. But no, you're right. But something, yeah. yeah you did kind of mention something there, and I think you're right. We're going to do a part two on the street with no name, and that's because we touched on quite a few different crimes. And this place is frankly too packed with trauma and and cases that are just mysterious and violent and terrible. We really want to do them justice. We don't want to just yeah. skim past because each of them is as important as the other. So this time next week, we're going to do part two, looking at the street with no name. And we hope you've enjoyed this episode because... Like Dad said before, um, I thought it was fairly important to, yes, acknowledge that these places, um, you know, people think they're haunted. But they think they're haunted because terrible crimes happen there and the crimes are what we want to look at in this half of the season. So we hope you enjoyed the episode. Enjoy is maybe the wrong word. We hope you, you know, um, appreciated the episode and we hope you got something out of it. Uh, We're going to keep digging and spend the next week looking through case files and news clippings and really going deep into some of the things that happened at this place and these things have been happening for you know god first case we found was back in the 60s um there's some stuff in the 90s there's some there's all kinds of weird things peppered through um through the years so we will be back at the end of this week with loose ends but we'll be back next week with part two of this very disturbing episode of loose units we hope you have a great week everyone and we'll see you soon bye bye Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.